0: We're now two weeks away from the capstone of the great 50 days of Easter, the festival of Pentecost, which is the celebration of the descent of the Holy Spirit on the apostles and the disciples in Jerusalem. So, I thought in my sermon this morning, since the bishop is going to be here and she can preach on the Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, that I want to say some things about it too, principally because you heard read to you from the book of Acts uh, an event that is sometimes referred to as the Gentile Pentecost. And so it has something to do with our understanding of the way the Spirit of God moves in the world and how we might appropriate that and, and make it part of our own personal history. So I'm going to say a word about the Gentile Pentecost and then say some things to you about John's Gospel where the Savior refers to his disciples as friends. I have called you friends and it affords the opportunity to say some things about friendship and its importance and centrality in the spiritual life and in the Christian life and in our own human life together, uh, it is a powerful thing. So we might want to say a word about friendship. Over the great 50 days this year, I have mentioned to you that each time we come to the liturgy, Father Thomas Keating, in his book, The Mystery of Christ, the Contemplative Dimension of the Liturgy, or the Liturgy as Spiritual Experience, says that every time we come to the Eucharist throughout the entire year, but perhaps with a particular focus and intensity during the great 50 days of Easter, we encounter three great theological ideas. The light of God, the life of God, and the love of God. And so whenever we speak about the deep things of Christian faith and belief like God's Spirit, We always need to remember that it's part of the light of God, the wisdom that comes to us through our practical experience and relationship, the illuminative processes of God at work in each of us and in the community of faith, and for that matter, any intentional community that seeks to know the truth and seeks to know how to recover its vision, if that's what's necessary and how it now proceeds to be effective in the world. We encounter the life of God, which is the ability to, in some way, be transformed by the Spirit, and the love of God is the power of transformation and change present to us always uh, when God, coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us, is there. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Now, you know, most of the time in the New Testament, at least, we think of Gentiles in a positive way, because after all, we are Gentiles. So, you know, I had a Jewish friend of mine uh, with with me at some, I don't know, ecumenical do where we we were with some Mormons and uh, he said to me, you know, this is one of the rare occasions where both you and I are Gentiles in this circumstance. (laughs) You read this in the Greek, uh, the Gentiles... Are called ethne. Those people. What do we get from the Greek word ethne? Ethnic, right? Those people. As opposed to another way to refer to a group in the New Testament, Laos, not the country, Laos which means our people. So the church refers to all of the people of God as laos, not ethne. So maybe this particular passage is about a struggle that is taking place. In the book of Acts here, the story is that the people who are not ethne are referred to as the circumcised not the Jews they're identified by their defining act that constituted them as a people at least for all the males right since Abraham as opposed to those who are not circumcised and therefore unclean and perhaps immoral which was a view that was widely held So why is this in the book of Acts? It's in the book of Acts because Luke is at pains to say something that we need to keep in mind. The tension that was created in early Christianity by the movement of Christians to reach out to the Gentile community was the most significant thing that happened in early Christianity. It makes the ordination of women to the priesthood and the episcopate It makes same-gender marriage look like amateur night compared to what it is that went on there. The clash in the great history of ideas between Athens and Jerusalem. In fact, even 200 years later, 300 years later, we'll have... Somebody like Tertullian in North Africa say, What has Athens to do with Jerusalem? And yet this powerful coming together was able to produce now a synthesis that will incorporate two great ideas. That God is both transcendent and imminent with us. Jesus Christ was a human being, and Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, in his preaching and teaching, affirmed our humanity and reinforced what the biblical witness said in the Hebrew Bible, that God made the world and called it good. So by virtue of that process, we now have a story where the Spirit of God has moved, And Peter and the circumcised, our people, are looking at those people. And then we sort of see pragmatism rear its head and he goes, Well, I guess if they have the Spirit, we might as well baptize them. Right? But it came first in this particular case. We believe, of course, that we receive the Holy Spirit at our baptism, and it is through the infusion of God's Holy Spirit that now we also acquire the infused virtues of love, of peace, and of joy, or of faith, hope, and charity. And by virtue of that, we are able to function in in the world in a way that may lead now in a few minutes to some friendship that will be of a godly sort. If you think about the controversies that exist within the wider culture, in our political and social milieu, or for that matter within the Episcopal Church, where there's a lot of tension about people who believe that we ought not to have an inclusive way of operating, this seems to be a biblical text that says the spirit moves where it will. It seems to be a biblical text that says you and I as faithful Christian people should labor to transform those people into our people. And that there ought not to be this kind of distinction between those two things. So it places in front of us that the Holy Spirit provides now an agency which theologians refer to as unitive being the processes of God at work in the world and in the hearts of all human beings to bring to unity one to another in love. And that that is a significant part of our work in the restoration of unity between God and each other in Christ in our mission. That we should be concerned about that as one of our first principles. The Spirit is very important because it's a good way to help you find out whether or not you're making any spiritual progress of any kind. If you care about making any spiritual progress of any kind, if you wake up and you were to say to yourself, how would I know? Well, one of the ways you might know is that if you find it more easy to reflect to others the fruits of the Spirit, things like, Love, joy, kindness, peace, gentleness, self-control. Are these things coming a little more easy to you than they used to? Are you able to control your personal demons a little bit better than you used to? Even though you may then not do it so well for a while, and then back again on a little bit more sensible track? These are, this is the work of the Spirit in you. And you and I are buoyed up by one another because when those around us are able now to express the fruits of the Spirit, we become influenced in relationship by that healthy living. And so by virtue of that, we move in a direction towards spiritual maturity. You know, perfection is always elusive. I've said to you before, a lot of people have become sick or crazy trying to become perfect. And so often in the Bible, when you read that term, particularly the famous line by Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, you must be perfect even as your Father in Heaven is perfect. What he says, or Matthew says in Greek, is you must be mature. Teleios means mature. It's easier to get to mature for me than perfect. You know, that's something that's within, what is it they say in Tibet doable, maybe. You know, perfection is not doable. So the work of the Spirit brings those qualities, love, joy, kindness, peace, gentleness, self-control, that are parts of the way you and I become mature human beings. So the reading from Acts today says that part of the saving history of God, this is reading about the history of salvation, part of the saving history of God, both corporately and personally, has something to do with being open to seeing the Spirit act as it will. And that you and I would be best served to conform ourselves to what clearly is the manifestation of the Spirit in big and small ways in our lives. And in the community of faith we call the Church, we see things made present to us over time where the Spirit's work needs to be honored, even if it's a little ahead of us in terms of how we think it ought to be. In the gospel for today, Jesus, this is part of the beginning of a section in John's gospel of his uh, discourses about the nature of the Christian life, seen and understood in light of the resurrection, even though in John's gospel what he's saying today is a prelude to what will happen uh, in his trial and crucifixion and so on. It's about some ways of being in the world in relationship to God. And Jesus today refers to the disciples as friends. And it raises the whole question of what friendship is all about. You know, when Jesus was exercising his earthly ministry in the ancient world, friendship was highly valued. And like love, the Greeks, for example, had a lot of different words for friendship. One of the ways you could define friendship is, strictly speaking, the mutual goodwill of two persons who accept each other profoundly. I don't know about you, but I have developed some strong friendships in my life that didn't start out with either the hope or the belief that they would be friendships. And sometimes I've gotten into friendships where I've just sort of backed into them. And I know that's true for other people, at least anecdotally. And so there's something about the uh, learning to take other people seriously or the understanding of the nature of the bond of friendship that has deep spiritual import. When we talk about friendship, you know, we talk about friendship with other people. uh, What's the old word? um, You know, you you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your relatives, or something like that. So sometimes we forget that we're called to be friends with those people that are closest to us, and often that's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? Why is it that we pay the least attention to the people that we love most, Or we take less seriously from time to time. This may sound awfully cynical. You may think, why do we... I really do believe in the little aphorism that familiarity breeds contempt. I absolutely do. I think it's great wisdom. And it means that you and I ought not just to accept that to be so. I think it's just the way it is. And it constitutes in some way a goad for us to say that even though that's true... Uh, we're going to labor to create the kind of friendship and intimacy that's mature and strengthens all of us together. And that, perhaps, is one of the greatest challenges of all. I mean, here you are, you're married to some guy. For ten years, he's told you he was going to put those bookcases up, and they're not up. Of course, it begs the question why you didn't put them up. Right? You've been mad at him for 10 years because he hasn't put him up. And you've been licking that wound for a long time, haven't you? And when things get bad, the gunny sack gets dumped. And here we go. Right? So how are you called to be a friend in that context? Jesus does something wonderful when he says this to the disciples because he creates now... a a relationship with him of mutuality and equality. Not hierarchical so much, you see. But one where when we're friends there is some mutuality. And we have the gospel guarantee and witness that in this particular case Jesus is not a fair weather friend. When I was a kid, my family used to talk a lot about fair-weather friends. I don't know about your family. And maybe some of you and me have been fair-weather friends to other people. You know? Sometimes it's pretty challenging and pretty tempting. What if you've had somebody who is a friend of yours who gets themselves in hot water? Do you stick? Or do you say, you know what? This is just too hard. I can't do this. I'm stepping away. Sometimes you may need to for your own survival. And sometimes maybe you need to be there in a way that makes a difference. And Jesus laid down his life for his friends. And so thinking about how and when that might be something we would do, not maybe physically getting killed, But, you know, your reputation, your livelihood, a lot of these kinds of things come into play. One of my organists at Christ Church Sausalito before Mark said to me one time when we were talking about Hitler's Germany, she said, I always like to think that when it got really hairy and people were getting taken out of their houses at three o'clock in the morning, and stuff was happening like that that I would step up and I would say this cannot go I'm getting as my grandfather would have said joining the Bolsheviks and getting in the bomb throwing department we're not going to be part of this but you know what I don't know whether I could or would it was pretty honest I think that's true about our friendships and why this is such an important passage in John's Gospel because here's the thing the community out of which John's Gospel emerged believed that if God were walking around on the earth he would be like Jesus what he would say And what he would do would be these things. And so in his words and in his works, we have seen words and works indistinguishable from the words and works of God. But something else happened and occurred to us by virtue of what he said and did, like in passages today, and that is this. We're not just watching some tableau of a guy walking around, sort of translucent in his look, six inches off the ground, but a real human being who has provided us tools that we can use to achieve the highest of our humanity and to understand further that because of what he said and what he did it constitutes a template that we can lay over our own spiritual life and maturity and a model that we can use for our own interpersonal relationship and our own understanding of community both what we understand is the church and the wider social milieu in which we find ourselves that this is exactly now how we ought to live and it is not beyond us it is doable So when Jesus says I have called you friends it means now we have the possibility to extend and to offer friendship to others or more to the point I know this is personal testimony day but sometimes it's hard to accept the extension isn't it? When somebody reaches out in love and concern for you because at bottom There are times when we know we really don't deserve it. But we get it anyway. And this friendship was offered to the disciples unconditionally. So this week, think about how the Spirit moves. Be open to seeing the Spirit move in your life in ways that you didn't think may have been the conventional or authorized channels. Understand that it is the Spirit of God, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen you, that is part of the agency that allows you to extend in friendship. Work on your friendships. See how maybe you have been indifferent to some of them uh, in the recent past and what can you t- do to get them back on track. Think about the idea of also responding to the friendly overtures of people that you have known as well, and maybe not discounting them like you have because you're tired, distracted, bored, or whatever it may be. Remember, as you do that, God's unconditional acceptance, love, and forgiveness is always there for you. Amen.